Monday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And listen, I know the first hour is 99% of the time Raptors and NBA, and it will be. But I would be disingenuous if I didn't hit the air and at least acknowledge what I'm sure many people are thinking. Anybody that knows me, that knows this show, they know that Paul is a Cleveland Browns guy. They know that I am a Buffalo Bills guy. And if I sound a little bit off today, I don't have a cold. I don't have COVID, not to my knowledge. I'm not sick. I'm a little bit hoarse and a whole lot upset, bitter, frustrated, confused, pissed off, angry, bewildered as to what went down in last night's game between the Bills and Chiefs. I will leave it at that. Uh, we'll talk more about it in an hour. I don't know if you want to say anything, Jonesy, but I, I again, I think it would be disingenuous if I didn't at least mention it briefly off the top and pretended to ignore it for an entire hour. But we will shift our attention very quickly to the NBA. It was a heck of a ball game. Uh, just uh, like a heck of a weekend for football. And uh, it, it's the it just what's it's what makes sports so great. Uh, yes, one team had to lose, but um, the, the the drama of of human competition and the, the the heights that it pushes people to, like like I know Kansas City won in that game, but Josh Allen was just fantastic. Unfortunately, in defeat, and we'll get into it with the rule and the whole bit. You know me in the rules committee, Eric. In every sport, you know me in the rules committee. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. will give my I will give my two cents about the overtime rule. It's it's a farce that you play that well for that long, and then they say, "Nope, sorry, you don't have a chance to win. You've you've had enough. That's it. The other guy gets a chance, but you don't." So anyway, we'll 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 get we'll get into that in the second hour. We got to, our producer Mark Boffo has done again an outstanding job of of uh, booking guests for us to talk to and chop this up with. But, um, and, and, you know, the Rams game, uh, I know our man Lance Kennedy is, is, uh, I need a gift for that. He's, he's, he's dancing. Like he's doing that little, the dance that hurt Adam Schefter's knee, you know, the Randy Moss, the little, the little shuffle dance and the The little gritty Lance Kennedy with his, the gritty that's, that's Lance Kennedy with his, with his 49ers winning. And uh, and uh, I, I begrudgingly give the Cincinnati, the team on the other side of the state, I begrudgingly give them uh, their due as they make it to the uh, AFC Championship. But let's talk hoops. Yeah, I have I have so much to say. I I, I need a couch today, like I really do. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe the best therapy for me is just not talking about it for the next hour and 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 pushing it aside until the 11 a.m. hour. But um, I, went, I, I tweeted this, and I'm not even going to read it word for word because I, I still feel it in my gut and my heart. I went from being absolutely willing to like shake the hand and accept a loss in a hard-fought battle in a, in a game that could have gone either way, and, and some may claim that, yeah, that was still the outcome, and, and, and that's still the narrative. But why the Bills kicked that thing into and through the end zone and allowed the Chiefs to have four, six, eight extra seconds – is beyond me. I'll leave it at that. We'll talk more about it in an hour. How about those Raptors? <laughs> um, a loss yesterday, but and yes, by the way, just so you know, I know the Raptor game was on at the same time as the Bills game. A, I have a job to do, but B, 
um, it's possible in today's day and age to do both things and to watch games live in picture in picture. It's also possible to watch games live with two screens, and it's also possible to also make sure you missed nothing by watching the game back uh, afterwards, thanks to PVR. Uh, so I was absolutely up on all that went down with the Raptors last night as well, as you certainly were, Jonesy, firsthand with Toronto falling down by as many as 34 points, having an abysmal, abysmal first half against the, uh, the uh, Blazers, only to cut it to four and eventually lose. And as we've seen now the last couple of weeks, the Raptors have been like this, a little bit up and down, uh, win one, lose one, lose two, win one, and lose to opponents that you think you might beat and beat opponents that you think you might lose to. And here they now sit at 22 and 22, getting set for Charlotte tomorrow. But that was, for long stretches, certainly a rough one last evening. Yeah, it was rough because they, I mean, they, it seemed like they were depending on their offense. You know, we say this in games against when you play a Golden State or when you play a Brooklyn or, you know, these in, in when you played Houston when they had James Harden, your offense had to keep you in the game. There, was, there wasn't much your defense could do because they were going to score, but your offense had to keep you in the game. And I thought uh, yesterday the Raptors uh, depended too much on the offense. It was a case where when the, if, because the ball wasn't going in, at least early in the game, they let down uh, their guard on the defensive end, and Portland shot the ball well uh, and kept scoring while Toronto was like, okay, let them score. Let's get the ball back, and let's go down and get our, ours at the other end, and it didn't happen. And then Portland come down and score. It's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Get the ball. Let's go. Let's go get ours at the other end. And after a number of sequences like that, like you find yourself down 20, 25 to 4. Um, and, and it wasn't until uh, the second half or when they got down big that they started to pay attention to the defense and made this harried, frenzied, frenetic comeback. Could you imagine being down by 34 and then outscoring somebody by 30 points and have it as like a, a, a two-possession, a four-point game with a minute and change to go? That, that's crazy. That is... That is crazy. First of all, how do you get down 34? That's that's a story in itself. But um, it, it's it's too bad because you know sometimes we know it too. That first game back after a long road trip is like another game on the trip, and it just seemed like that for Toronto early on. They just couldn't get anything going. But uh, man, I give them credit, and I I dug into the record book right away. The biggest comeback was 30 points against Dallas. Mind you, on Friday night against Washington, they almost blew the biggest fourth quarter lead in franchise history, being being up 18 in the fourth quarter and almost letting that get away. But um, I think it said something about the team yesterday, too. It says something about the resiliency and the identity of the team. Somebody asked me on another uh, station Saturday, what's the identity of the team? I would say they are a, a, a hardworking, developing defensive team that likes to play fast and score uh, score in transition, shooting the three. Like that's, that's what this team is. And if they can ever solidify it and consolidate it, I'm telling you, man, they are going to be a tough out. 
I don't, I don't, th- I don't disagree with that, Jonesy. I think that's a good assessment. I think that's a good description of what they are, um, and it's part of the reason, a good part of the reason, a major part of the reason why uh, me, you, and so many others felt at the beginning of the season and still feel mid-season that this team is tough and um, will be tough, not just in the future, as you say, where they will be tougher. I think they're tough right now. And listen, I don't know if they're going to finish as the 10th seed, the 6th seed, the 11th seed, the 7th seed, but I have fully anticipated that they would be there in the conversation, and here they are still in the conversation. They are the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference. They are sitting at 500. The Celtics are technically ahead of them, even though the Celts are also 500 in the eighth seed, but they have played four more games than the Raptors. And Toronto will see Charlotte tomorrow, who will have three games on the Raptors, and Toronto is two and a half back. So opportunity is absolutely there, let alone if you eyeball the Sixers. Now, the Sixers have opened up a bit of a cushion here, and we're starting to see now as we get a little deeper into the season, there is a little bit of separation starting to be created from 6 down to 10-11. And it looks like we might be. And again, there's a long way to go. Technically, the Charlotte Hornets excuse me, are only a game and a half back of, of Philly for that sixth seed. But we're starting to see a little bit more separation here, I think, in terms of the, the, the upper half and the lower portion. And I, when I say the upper half, I know it's not officially half, but it's those top six seeds, those locked-in playoff spots. We're starting to see they're starting to pull away a little bit more from the group, and, and, and you're starting to get a sense of right, who's going to be in the mix for the play-in. And I, I know I read some stuff today. I've heard some stuff on, on and seen some stuff on Twitter, Jonesy, and have seen it now for a couple of weeks. And you've talked about it, certainly, as it relates to the Lakers, uh, who had championship aspirations. I don't know if the Raptors truly, to a man, had championship aspirations but the question of playing or not i think absolutely because even if it's one game it's still postseason experience it's still competing for something and you never know if you might win you never know when you advance if you might win a series even if you get blood and you and i've been saying this for years and I go back to the, one of the worst defeats, at least in the current era in recent memory, the sweep by the Washington Wizards. You tell me that wasn't a learning experience for DeMar DeRozan, for Kyle Lowry, for others that didn't come back hungrier and more focused with that bitter taste in their mouth from that loss? So get me the experience, get me in. To me, the only question is, does the play-in tournament change the organization's mindset as buyer or seller to me i'd be stan patter i like what i have i like where it's going and i'm not saying this about the raptors i'm talking in general any team if you're in that playoff mix in terms of the play-in mix to me you don't have to buy or sell you can just stand pat i like what i got or i know that i've got a couple of good pieces i know i need to make some improvements but i'm not going to sell the farm to get a guy in that may or may not make that much of a difference from us jumping from ninth to sixth or fifth. I can do that in the offseason. Stay where I'm at. Be comfortable where I'm at. Know that if I continue on this path, I'll probably stay locked in somewhere in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range, and that's good enough for now. I don't foresee dropping all the way down. Unless you think that what you've got is playing well above its head 
and it's better for your long-term future to sell the farm, to trade off multiple assets, to fall down to 12, 13, 14, and retool for next year thinking, man, I'll be lucky to even get in the play-in next year, let alone into an actual playoff spot. I think that there's absolutely every reason to think that you could and should be a stand patter and not freak out or be reactive to the deadline that's approaching. And again, that's for a lot of teams, not just Raptor-specific. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, I I think you may always make moves with a an eye to the future, maintaining your flexibility and an eye to the future. And I don't I don't know if I would define a buyer or seller, but if if you're the Raptors right now, uh, I th- I think you're I think you're doing stuff, and this sounds obvious, but you're doing stuff to. Uh, improve and and whether it's improve in the short term immediately, or uh, getting some players that that might have some potential that you can develop without taking a step backward and roll them over as assets for uh, things in the future. You do that too. I, I think you're you're open to listening, but if nothing happens. Uh, would you be okay with this team going forward as it is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, I, you know, here's the other thing, too. And I, I, I think this factors in. I don't know if the organization would think about this, Jonesy, and now this is Raptor-specific. I think you also have to factor in what the team is currently dealing with that no other team in the NBA is dealing with. And how is that impacting yeah, yeah. wins or losses and the team in general the cohesion, the chemistry, good or bad, etc. Like, and again, I'm not looking to make it all political. COVID, Omicron, the way that Ontario versus BC versus Canada as a whole versus the United States, whatever. Have your opinion, good, bad, or otherwise. But there's no denying it has an impact on the Raptors. The fact that they go on the road for five games into enemy territory, into packed arenas, and then come home to an empty arena, even if you completely agree with it, and completely agree that that's the way it should be. That's fine. I'm merely saying it has an impact. It has an impact on the atmosphere or lack thereof. Home court advantage is not the same without 10, 15, and obviously in Toronto, 20,000 people, 19,800 specifically, screaming down on the opposition. You feed off the energy, period. It has an impact. So how much do you think, Jonesy, that factors into player evaluation or more specifically team evaluation when you're looking at what you have and that plays a role in performance outcome etc i i think it plays uh, a role in 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 outcome i'm not sure it, it i'm not sure it plays as big a role in performance because i mean you're 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 evaluating what you have. Now, some guys are better when the lights come on, or it seems like they're a little bit better when the lights come on. But, um, you know, yesterday, for example, when the Raptors were making the comeback and it was it was, uh, it was was crazy in there, you could hear the bench and all those people going crazy. But the invisible sixth man, the, 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 the crowd, uh, maybe landing a little bit more energy that was not there, I, I, I thought that... I thought that hurt yesterday. I, I really did. Um, the human elements of the game. There were some, ooh, let's say, questionable calls by the officials. And 
they're human. They react to pressure from the crowd, uh, you know, cheers, boos, uh, the crowd kind of on the officials, like, you owe us a call, man. You've been giving us the short end of the stick. Those kinds of things. Crowds impact that. Crowds impact uh, the visiting team. Some guys feed off that energy. Some guys wilt under it. But I thought it was. I thought yesterday was one of those games where it would have been nice to have 19-8 in there. Uh, never mind for the start, so you don't get off to that kind of a, a start and get into that hole. But when you are roaring back, that place would have the foundation would have been shaking. I, I, I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it in my mind as well, Jonesy. Well, Nick Nurse was asked about it last night. If you haven't seen the piece, um, listen, fabulous writers from from all the outlets providing Raptor content on a daily basis. Uh, but obviously a shout-out to, to our guy, to our colleague Michael Grange at Sportsnet. Uh, if you haven't checked out uh, his latest, check, go to uh, sportsnet.ca. Uh, and uh, he wrote at great length uh, about the crowd and what the Raptors were trying to deal with yesterday and have been of late. Uh, you know, find the, uh, the, the column, the piece, under the headline, with no crowd to help lift them, Raptors dig a hole too deep to climb out of. Uh, and uh, here was... Well, I don't know if it's just one or multiple, but either way, some comments or a comment from Nick Nurse, head coach of the Raptors, following last night's game as it relates specifically to the crowd, to the atmosphere, and more. I mean, we talk about it. We say, hey, we know, we know what the, we know what the deal is going to be. There's going to be, you know, we're going to have to try to create this ourselves, and just couldn't do it tonight. But you're right, that is is not the, you know, the issue. But it's it it isn't. You know, I mean, you guys have said this before. It's really disappointing, right? Um, Right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever your thoughts are, it's just, it's just, it's just hard. But we've been through a lot of hard stuff, so we, we can't cry about it. We got to go play, and we got to play better than we did tonight. And I'll piggyback that comment. Um, one of the more direct lines, I suppose, that he had. Um, Jonesy said, "I've got to say it's disappointing at home to go out there and play. It's pretty lifeless in there." I think we've all probably experienced playing in empty buildings the last couple of years. It is disappointing and difficult to get some energy going on some nights. We've done a pretty good job with it. I'd say 50-50, maybe half the games we've had no fans. And he continued on saying, I keep using the line. We have to create our own fun on the sidelines and have a good time. A couple of uh, games, both teams were looking up in the stands and getting nothing back, and you could kind of see it and feel it. And later on, simply put, he added, it sucks. So I, I think the comedy just made that we just played for you, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, no matter how you feel, et cetera, I think that's kind of what we were saying just a couple of minutes ago as well. No matter how you feel about it, whether you agree with it, disagree with it or not, you have to acknowledge it's had an impact, and that's to me what, you know, exactly what Nick Nurse was saying. It's having an impact, and he's not here to, you know, kick and scream and, and fight the government or fight the sanctions. He's dealing with it. He's accepting it, whether it's willingly or begrudgingly. But he's also acknowledging, hey, this is having an impact on, on me, on my team. And it's something that 29 other markets aren't dealing with. Yeah, you're right. And, and like I said, I, I, I just think there's, there's something to getting energy from the crowd. There's something to that. It, it, it impacts certain guys. They are gamers. They play. I mean, they're good in practice, but they find that extra notch. When you're tired, there's a little bit more. When you're... Um, you know, when you're in the midst of a comeback, uh, 
even a good crowd when you're down. And we've seen the Raptor crowd become that. I used to be on them for, uh, I used to say the two Ps. They're present, but they don't participate. And, and we still get that uh, on occasion, but not as much as we used to before where, you know, the other team has to call a timeout and, you know, people are kind of sitting around like, you know, they're on their phones and whatever instead of really letting the other team have it, know it, let them know that, you know, we, oh, we have you on the run right now. Uh, but it's... it's uh, it's an additional source of help that seems to be that is missing right now and, and seems to be uh, tough to recreate. As great as the bench was yesterday and everybody else was, they were just uh, they, they could have used a little more jump from a crowd. No doubt about it. Raptors again losing to the uh, Blazers. 114-105, the final Raptor shot just a hair under 40%. Uh, the Blazers at a hair under 53%. I mean, that alone tells you the story, crowd or otherwise. Pascal Siakam, 28 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists in the loss. Van Vliet struggled 6 of 19, 19 points, 8 assists. Gary Trent Jr., 13 points, uh, 0 rebounds, 1 assist. Scotty Barnes with 9 points on only 3 of 14 shooting, adding 6 rebounds and 6 assists. On the other side for the Blazers, it was kind of balanced attack. 5 players in double figures, 3 sharing the team high uh, with McCollum, uh, Simons and Little each with 19. But I mentioned Scotty Barnes a moment ago, Jonesy. Nine points, six boards, six assists. Not a great evening for him on only three of 14 shooting. But go back a couple of nights ago. And, hey, it's a Monday. That's why we address this. Even though it happened on Friday night, the most recent game being last night, you know, you're only as good as your latest win or loss. Okay, the Raptors lost last night. But they picked up. Uh, uh, an important win, and what turned out to be an important win because it allowed them to continue to stay at 500, even in spite of last night's loss uh, to the Blazers. They end the road trip on Friday at 2-3 and three, thanks to a 109-105 victory. We don't have to get into all the gory details of that game, but the one thing that stood out more than anything, Scotty Barnes with a career-high 27 points, had 8 rebounds in that game, 12 of 19 that evening, and he was doing it you know, mid-range, down in the post. He was making it look easy. He was coming in the back door, dunks underneath. He was doing a ton. After the game, you know the ultimate sign of respect when you're getting comments like this from the opposition. Here's Bradley Beal on Scotty Barnes. Special. I've even went back and look at any, any interview I've talked about him. Like, I've, I've always been a fan of him since I've coached against him in high school. So I've seen him for the longest and. He's always been a special talent, you know, and tonight he looked like a star. You know, he, he was killing us. It's crazy because he was, like, making jump hooks all night. It wasn't like he was he wasn't breaking us down. He wasn't hitting us with anything crazy. He kept his game simple um, and efficient, you know. So I'm happy he's, he's, he's getting healthy. He's, he's finding his way. He has a good group of guys to learn from over there. I told Fred that. I said, I, I always respect that when I play you guys. You know, sometimes it may get chippy or we may talk trash, but it's it's a competitive game. Like, I enjoy competing against that team. Um, you know, it's a fun. They have they have a fun group. You know, they, they go hard. And they play small. Like, they didn't have any bigs out there. They were all the same size. You know, they were just, they just were hungry. You know, and they just grinded it out and played hard. That's how they always are. And immediately... Many Raptor fans are rubbing their palms together, licking their chops, going, hey, Brad, want to come join the party? <laughs> but two things to break down there, Jonesy. One, incredible comments about Scotty Barnes coming from one of the best in the league, an all-star in Bradley Beal. Two, 
he pretty much says what you were saying, what we were saying off the top of the show in terms of the way the Raptors compete, how hard they battle. And when you get that kind of respect, again, from an opposing player, from an all-star player, not just about an individual, but about your team and how you play, that is the ultimate respect. Uh, that's uh, He just kind of confirmed the identity that uh, we talk about with the Raptors, right? This, it might get chippy, uh, but they're going to play hard. And if it gets chippy, it's because they're not backing down or, you know, they're, they're, they're playing all out all the time. And yesterday was an example of it. I, I, I'm telling you, watching that game yesterday, it was like, at times, it was like being at a high school game when a high school team is down 20 or 25 points and they're trying to come back. People flying around all over the place just double teaming, making steals, reaching in, hustle to the other end, make a score, make a bucket, pick up your man, you know, double team. And, and when guys got tired, Nick threw other guys in. And there was Nick like, like a high school coach. You know, he's, he's up at half court. He's yelling, trap, 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 go get him, go get him. Just sometimes you, you, throw, the, you throw all the, the, you know, the calm and the X's and O's out the window. And it's like, hey, man. We're playing in the schoolyard, and we're we're trying to stay on the floor. We're trying to win so we can we can stay on the floor. And that's that's to me, Eric. That's always my bottom line. That's always my bottom line when I watch a guy play. If there was no money involved and we were playing out on the schoolyard, game to seven, do I want this guy on my team? That's that's the ultimate litmus test for me. That I, that's it. it the, I want Fred on my team. I want Scotty Barnes on my team. You know, you look at, you look at some of the, uh, you know, you look, look at some of the players uh, uh, around the league. Uh, it, I want Kevin Durant on my team. I, I want like a, a Bruce Brown on my team. I, I like I, those, those, those guys that are, they can get grimy and gritty and, and, and they're okay with, uh, you know, a little bit of chippiness and they're going to give some back. They're going to take some, but they're going to give some back too. And I think this Raptor team epitomizes that with their identity. I think Nick does because that's probably – I never saw him play. That's probably the way he was when he played. You want Grayson Allen on your team? Um, if I could control some of his antics, he's a, he's a good player. I, I didn't like what he did, though. And, and as much as everybody was uh, – people are – I wouldn't say trying to defend him, but mitigate the suspension. No, it's – it's a flagrant two, and he, and he gets a game suspension. That was wrong. Unnecessary and excessive. And, like, do we, are, are we at the point where Grayson Allen shouldn't play until Alex Caruso can come back and play? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't buy that only because it sets up the possibility. And, listen, we can obviously apply this to, to all sports. I've never liked that idea or that theory that has been put out there by some because it sets up Jonesy the like okay this this happened to a key piece in Alex Caruso what happens and with no disrespect intended but this is reality folks what happens when a foul like that occurs against the 13th 14th 15th man on the roster or a dude that may be like you know 16th guy in and out of the lineup down at the G League barely ever plays but he comes into the game and now what he stays out of the lineup for a week a month, two months, or 
Maybe he's even able to come back. But uh, you know what? It'd be kind of good to keep uh, Grace and Allen out of the lineup for as long as possible. So you know what, buddy? Why don't you stay sidelined for 10 weeks instead of eight because we're you know in a dogfight with the Bucks well, and we don't want Grace and Allen in the lineup. You can't do that, right? You can't have a suspension no, but you would have, length of time a guy's you would have an in. You would have an independent third party evaluate. Yeah, this guy's ready to play, so you can come back. I mean that, but I mean, uh, I, I just I didn't like I didn't like what what Grayson Allen did and what no, hurts terrible. him, and his reputation precedes him. The stuff he did yeah. at Duke for any of our listeners that are unaware, uh, he was he had that he had that rep at Duke too. So, hey man, I've been there. You go out in the schoolyard. And there's 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 action going on, and you see one kid, and he's got the rep, or she's got the rep, and they're in the middle of it. It's like, well, I'm not surprised. It, it happens. Listen, Grayson Allen should have got more than one game. I don't know what the punishment should have been, but it should have been more than one. Three, I would have been fine with, but one was not enough. And the fact that on two fronts, the Milwaukee Bucks, to me, showed being completely tone deaf. One, their social media folks that the morning after the game tweeted out a picture or a, a, a gif of Grayson Allen eating a donut, and it was like, hey, game day for the Bucks." That might have been completely innocent. It might have been something pre-planned already. But, like, you know what? Read the room a little bit. Pick another player. I'm sure that on media day you, you filmed a whole bunch of dudes eating donuts or doing goofy things for your little promos that you're going to run through the year. Don't show Grayson Allen looking like he's kicking back enjoying his morning coffee and donut the night after, the day after, the morning after, doing that to Alex Caruso. That was stupid in itself. Two, the Milwaukee Bucks organization, Jonesy, making a statement. Like, just shut up. Don't say anything. Even if you truly believe what you put out, don't Say it. Just keep your mouth shut. They actually said that we don't agree with the punishment and we stand with Grayson Allen and we're disappointed in the league. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That dirty play that could have and would have and should have got more than a game that ended up sidelining a guy with a busted wrist and surgery and you're going to make a statement saying we don't agree with one game? Just bite your tongue, swallow it, and he's back in the lineup in two nights. Like, how stupid was that? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Tone deaf, maybe maybe not reading the room. You, you take your suspension. I mean, there's nobody that can look at that play and not say that, um, you know, the hard foul and the result of it. And we, all, we often talk about that. The result, the way a player, the Scotty Barnes play last week against Miami, if he stays down, uh, is that play viewed in a different light? And we're in an era now where, not that Caruso was doing that because he was legitimately hurt, but we're in an era where players are selling stuff. You know, they, the head snaps back and they go down for a little longer or things just, you know, if they look a little worse, maybe we come out a little better. But, um, and, and to your point about the social media thing, I agree. Put put Giannis talking about Oreos up again, like it's game day. Put, you know, uh, dunking Oreos in milk. Put something else up. Don't, uh, you know, don't 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 put the guy who's at the center of the storm. Don't throw him up there to attract more more attention and potentially, well, outside of Milwaukee, more negative attention. 
All right, let's step aside for a moment and come back, continue our conversation, probably on these topics and a whole lot more with Brian Windhorst from ESPN next on Smith & Jones on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith and Paul Jones with you. Joining us on the line right now, we always appreciate his time, ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst. Brian, thanks for the time today. Good morning. Hey, Brian, we were just chatting before our uh, commercial break there about, uh, and I'm, I mean, I know the story is a couple of days old, uh, but Grayson Allen and the suspension for the, uh, the, the hit, the foul, the flagrant on Alex Caruso. Um, listen, I, I don't know what the right number is, whether it's two, whether it's three, whatever, but one just didn't seem right. Now, am, am, am I wrong for thinking that? Did you think the punishment might be a little bit more? Well, there's two issues. One is that you can't prove intent, obviously. I mean, last night there was a flagrant foul, Kelly Oubre, a Charlotte Hawks game, and it was a similar type play. Guy goes up for a dunk. Kelly Oubre hits uh, DeAndre Hunter, takes a terrible fall. I don't think he got hurt as bad as Caruso, but he got hurt. And it was just a meeting in the air. I mean, Oubre clearly, you know, he didn't intend to hurt him. It's very difficult to prove intent on that play. And then the second thing is is that Allen has a history dating back to Duke. So people judge him with that, you know, they prejudge him on that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. And the NBA, um, you know, in theory, would be able to take that into account, what he's done in the NBA. But they they couldn't prove intent. And so, like, I I understand why everybody's – uh, why everybody feels that way, but I think the the NBA did what they could there. I thought it was odd that the Bucks put out a statement basically supporting Grayson and disagreeing with the fine. I think they should have just let everything uh, lie. But um, uh, the, the reality is that the Bulls are are really in trouble now because they're missing to their two best perimeter defensive players for a long time with Lonzo Ball having surgery. And with the way the East is and as competitive as it is, um, I expect them to backslide. And I don't know. I, you know I, they might end up being a play-in team as good as they've been. Wow. Uh, Brian, I know the NBA has tried to uh, make sure that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Is there anything else they can do? I mean, I look at the way – and. Covering this game for as long as all of us have, we look at the the evolution of the game and how stuff that's being reviewed now would just be kind of laughed at 15, 20, 25 years ago. But is there anything else the NBA can do to try and make the game safer? I mean, I think they have made it a lot safer. Um, you know, in general, I know there's been a little bit of a, of a peel back um, this year, but. In general, the fouls that are called are heavily to protect the player, and so you know that's that's just, that's just the nature. I think it's I think the NBA is pretty safe, um, especially considering how strong and how high these guys jump. You know, I remember um, back when I was covering the Miami Heat, um, I had to do a difficult story on Dwayne Wade because there was six or five plays that were borderline dirty and. He uh, kicked another player between the legs and got suspended for it. And I went back and showed like four or five times where he made questionable plays. And he got furious with me and got right into my face about it. 
and challenged me and said, you know, you don't know the game. You don't know how this, how, what happens at full speed. And, you know, he presented a defense and, you know, I presented video and whosever side you were going to be on there, you, uh, neither one of us is going to be convinced of otherwise. It's just a very difficult part of the game. Um, you know, Matthew Delavidova, <clears throat> who you may remember, another guy that I covered who had a, a lot of yeah. plays like this. And in a playoff series one time, he dove for a ball on the ground and landed on Kyle Korver's ankle. Korver had to have surgery. And, like, you were a Cavs fan and looked at that. You said, oh, my God, he's going for a loose ball on the ground in a playoff game. If you were a Hawks fan, you said he dived at our all-stars uh, feet and knocked him out. And that's just the nature of the game. If you're a Bucks fan, he was trying to block the shot. If you're a, a Bulls fan, he's the dirtiest player uh, known to man. That's probably a, a good way of assessing it, Brian. I, you know, I'll leave it with this, with, with one other one, whether you want to weigh in quickly or not. Because you said it off the top well, too. It's impossible to know intent. There's a play that I thought looked as bad, if not worse, than the Grayson Allen one the other night involving two guys playing ping-pong, basically, with a young Jalen Suggs and LeBron James and, and uh, Horton Tucker. Like, they, they, they hammered him midair, and there's nothing of it. I haven't heard anybody really even talk about it. And to me, that speaks to what you said off the top then, intent and probably plays like this that happen on a nightly basis in damn near every single game. Well, Grayson Allen is not a liked guy. It starts when you go to Duke. I mean, you're sort of behind the eight ball right off the bat. And, um, <laughs> for, you know, and he has not helped himself as he's gone through his career. Brian, um, we haven't seen you in a while <laughs> uh, because of the border restrictions and all of the stuff going on since, since 2020. Uh, but from afar, what do you make of the Toronto Raptors playing in front of an empty Scotiabank arena? especially you, Brian, having been here through the playoffs, the finals, and knowing what kind of energy is in that building and how it can help the home team. And, and if, if you have the right clientele on the other side, make it difficult for the visiting team. I mean, there are some visiting players that love that atmosphere and thrive on it, but um, it, 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 it's not the same. What do you make of it from your seat where you are on the other side of the border? I mean, I've had, obviously, Nick and the players have talked about it, and um, I've had private conversations with people in the Raptors organization, and they have discussed with me the, what, the, the same. Like, they talk about how hard it is, and I believe what they say. And, of course, I mean, the last day I was in Toronto was for Game 5, 2019. Um, that night was pouring down rain, and um, uh, there was – 100,000 people in the street. And, I mean, it would have been one of the greatest nights in Canadian history if they had won that night. It was still pretty great um, a couple of days later. But, um, uh, yes, of course, it, it seems very difficult. And the Raptors, you know, just, you know, they were doing really well and they had this road trip. And, of course, you knew it was going to be hard. But they came home yesterday and just laid an egg. And, um, you know, in a team playing its sixth game of a road trip, it should have been the inverse. It should have been the Raptors who had the energy and, and not the Blazers. And they were very clear afterwards. They feel like they're at a disadvantage. And I mean, there's no question to me that the Raptors have gotten the shortest end of this straw. Um, maybe they get a little teeny advantage because some teams are holding back their players from coming to Canada because they're worried about testing positive in Canada. But 
on balance, the Raptors have absolutely gotten the shortest stick on this. And it's unfortunate. And it's also coming at a time where um, the team is in transition. But I would just continue to focus on Scotty Barnes because that is a gift that has happened that has, that has made what's gone on worth it. It will continue to be worth it. And Fred Van Vliet is going to be an all-star. And Pascal Siakam looks like he's back. And so I would say that while the record is, is difficult, while the situation right now is difficult, in the grand scheme of things, the Raptors are in a pretty good place, especially with where they were you know, a year ago. Speaking with Brian Windhorst from ESPN. Brian, on, on, on that front, I'll just stay with the Raptors for a second here. You mentioned Scotty Barnes, and we just played a clip uh, 10, 15 minutes ago of uh, Bradley Beal talking about Barnes after the Raptors beat the Wizards on Friday night. And, and then it kind of transitioned into speaking about the Raptors and how they play and how tough they are, which is, again, maybe further amplifying the point you just made about the, the future for them. How difficult do you think it will be for Nick Nurse, for the Raptors, to make sure that Barnes continues to develop in terms of his offensive game. We already know he's a pretty solid defender even as a rookie, but when you've got other pieces, when you've got a Siakam, when you've got a Van Vliet, and trying to bring somebody else along who's clearly becoming such a key cog and an important piece and making sure that everybody stays happy in terms of you know eating, not just always being hungry, but making sure they're eating as well. I had a guy who I really respect tell me that Barnes has some of the best defensive instincts of any of any rookie he's ever seen. The guy's been in the NBA for 30 years. Um, you know, I don't have the analytical eye for defense. Uh, I trust what people tell me. Um, but I've had just people talk so much about it. I mean, it, it, takes, um, it takes a lot of time to learn how to play defense in the NBA. Uh, sometimes a lot of guys either don't have the desire or don't have the talent for it. You know, right now we have one of the best rookies, uh, defensive rookies we've seen in the NBA in a while playing for the New Orleans Pelicans, Herbert Jones. But he played four years in college. Um, you know, he's like 23. So if you think about where Barnes will be in three years, I, I mean, defensively he could be like, – I, I think he's, he's got such great instincts defensively that he could be a defensive player of the year. So when you talk about offense, you talk about things that I think he can naturally improve on. Um, and because of his frame and because of his um, athleticism and what he can do, like I, I mean, go look at every single player in the NBA, every single star player for the last 50 years. Go look at their stats their rookie year and go look what they do offensively year two, three. They, they always shoot straight up offensively. They learn, they get stronger, they learn, they, you know, they learn the referees, they learn the feel of the game. I, you know, that's not the hard thing. The hard thing is what he seems to already have down. So I'm not worried about his offense. And I mean, my guess is, I mean, I, I wish I could, I wish I could pre- pretend that I know what the world's going to be in two years. But like, my guess is by like his year three, year four, it's not going to matter. He's going to be the unequivocal leader of the team. It's going to, everything's going to run through him. It's not even going to be a discussion. Uh, Brian, to that point, I mean, I, I look at him on an offense. I, I'm not saying he is, but he's got some of the qualities of a, of a young Magic Johnson with his, the way he sees the floor, the way he passes the ball. Um, the way he goes inside and plays close to the hoop against smaller players, uh, he doesn't have 
the consistent jump shot yet. It's better, it's better than it was at the beginning of the year, and it'll get there. And then to the defensive side, he does look to me like almost like a young Scottie Pippen with his, his length, his athleticism, being able to guard five positions, his rebounding, uh, and, and his ability to be in the right spot on the help side. I, I, I mean, to me, that's – and I've, I've, I'm kind of holding on to that, but I'm looking for that to develop going forward. That's, that's kind of my last word on, on Scotty Barnes. I, I, I want to move on, though, and, and talk a little bit about the rest of the East as our, our time is running out. What do you make of the run Joel Embiid has been on lately? I mean, I, I got to say, guys, like, when it comes time to vote for all NBA, I'm going to look at that line and have to choose between Jokic and Embiid, and I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. Um, they're both yeah. having two of the best seasons for that I've seen for a center since Shaq, and they're obviously very different players. Um, the way Embiid is carrying – I mean, the, the Sixers last night, I think they were missing – four players and they were on the run. Now they were in San Antonio. Okay. It's not, it's not exactly playing in Phoenix, but they're playing a road game yesterday, missing four uh, rotation players and then Bede just carries them, you know, and he had a 40 point game before that. And uh, that's why I just, um, I understand, you know, in the NBA, there's an old saying that, uh, that four quarters doesn't make a dollar. In other words, if you trade a star player, the dollar and you trade for three guys that are, good but not great it's it doesn't equal out and so i understand why daryl morey is not trying to trade a dollar for for quarters with ben simmons but there's got to be an increasing pressure and i don't just mean from the media and the fans i mean from the ownership from joel himself from the other players to say how can we not take advantage especially as you look at other issues in the east the brooklyn's all over the place um, you know, I, I don't, you know, Miami is a, a threat, but, you know, they have issues. Like, it, it's all there for Philly to have. They just don't have the firepower. And so, like, I, I, Embiid has been so great that I don't know how you don't make a trade. Even if he doesn't want one, it's kind of an insult to him that you don't do it. And, I, and he doesn't have a trade he likes. It's a real, it's a real conundrum. Um. Well, Brian, at the at at the risk of being repetitive, I, I, I'm going to stay on that front. Like, and listen, you've been on with us before. I don't want to get into fantasy things and whatever else and creating trades and scenarios. But like, is there something out there that you think makes sense from what you've heard? Is there a team that makes more sense, or teams, or are they kind of as you just said in that conundrum of what to do and who to do it with, if anything? Well, the issue is. He's got James, you know, he knows that James Harden is going to be a free agent this summer. And whether or not James Harden leaves the, the Nets and comes to the Sixers, either straight or in a sign and trade for Simmons, um, he knows that possibility is there. So that's his standard. That's his standard. I say he, I'm talking about Daryl Morey. He knows he's got a decent shot at getting, uh, he thinks, at getting James Harden in the summer. And so with that as the backdrop, it's very hard for me to sit down with the trade machine, but the Sacramento Kings or the Atlanta Hawks or the Indiana Pacers, or we can go on and say that that would happen. Because, again, it's one of the lessons that you learn over the course of time. Uh, I don't even remember the guys that Milwaukee got back from the Lakers for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I just know that once Kareem left, they didn't go to the, they didn't go to the finals for 50 years. So I get it. Um, and it's a real conundrum, and every great game Joel Embiid 
uh, plays, which is now about like 25 in a row, uh, it makes it more complicated. Hey, Brian, we always appreciate your time and insight. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, and uh, like I've been saying to a lot of people lately, and I certainly mean it with you as well, we hope to see you soon and actually in person, but all the best. Uh, how about a little bit later in the year? Uh, spring <laughs> or better. summer would be better. Thank you. <laughs> well, wait, wait for the warm weather, Brian. Yeah, we'll yes. get you up here in June. <laughs> <laughs> There's Brian Windhorse. Uh, NBA insider from ESPN. Always love having him on, and uh, certainly some high, high praise for Scotty Barnes. But honestly, yeah, that that, that last portion of our conversation there, Jonesy, um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what the 76ers can do. If there's a deal out there that makes sense, obviously, for Philly, they wouldn't make it otherwise, where they could unload Ben, get back a piece that's going to help them, and it not be a deal with the Nets because of what Brian was just saying, Go get Harden potentially as a free agent, but don't trade for him now. And then you have Embiid and Blank, as well as maybe in the offseason, James Harden. Whew, that could set you up real good. Real good. Yeah, yeah. All right, folks, make sure you subscribe Stay away from the to fantasy Jones. E. Yeah, no, no. That's why, I, hey, that's why I didn't throw names out other than James Harden, maybe, as a free agent. Subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you rate and review as well.